The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today as we unfold more of the truths of who you are in Christ. We had a little guy recently that said to his mommy, Mommy, maybe we should throw away our Batman pajamas. Mommy was a little bit sad because they look so cute in these Batman pajamas. But as Mommy and Daddy talked about it, they realized that their little guy was catching the truth. After hearing one of the podcasts of The Believer Going Epic, now, I know a lot of adults have probably have been listening to the, the epic series that are hanging on to their comic books and hanging on to their t-shirts and haven't had such a revelation. And that's why it's real special for us to have the faith of a child. Because, see, they don't have a lot of clutter going on yet. And when they hear something, they realize, okay, maybe... Maybe we should let this go. So I want to challenge all of our listeners today to reach in deep to that little child within you, because that child never does grow up. We remain children of the living God for eternity. In fact, while we're in eternity, we have the same type of faith that children have here on earth. We will always be a child. So I encourage you to lean upon that childlike faith that does reside in you. Believer going epic. The exchange that allows for the release of the Spirit of Christ is an exchange from spiritual death, Adamic spirit, to eternal spiritual life, which is Holy Spirit. This eternal life that we receive is Jesus Christ. It is a person. It is not a concept. It's not a theology. It is a person. When this exchange takes place, it's an exchange for Adam person, for Jesus Christ person. Very critical in understanding the true meaning of the exchanged life. As we began to talk more and more about the details of the exchanged life, if you were listening in our last message, our last podcast 123, you're going to hopefully remember that we began talking about the two primary elements of the exchanged life. The two 
sides to the coin we talked about last week was the exchange of the spirits and secondly, dominion. Because behavior and authority and power comes from dominion. Life comes from spirit. So when Paul said, for I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, and when he said to the Corinth church that I am not here with persuasive words, but I am here in, in spirit and power, that's the two sides to the coin. The exchange of the spirit and dominion, which is where power comes from. If you're of the dominion of darkness, well, you're going to demonstrate the behavior that takes place in the dominion of darkness. And there actually is power in the dominion of darkness. There's actually magic, real magic, not magic tricks. There is real magic in the domain of darkness. Demons can do all kinds of things to replicate the work of the Spirit. And so, when you're of the kingdom of light, there is forever after healing. The miracles are eternal, whereas the kingdom of darkness, everything is very temporary. And that's why you find a lot of people who are unsaved who tap into sorcerers to get healing and new age kinds of of uh, demonstration of miracles, you do actually have testimonies of these miracles. But they are not of the miracles of God. We are on number 124, and the title to our message today is The Spiritual Life. This is a mini-series underneath the series of Identity Matters series that we are doing. That's where the 124 message comes from, but our going epic, this is number 15, for those of you who are trying to keep track of this. Let's talk about for a moment here something that is very important, that is the release of the spirit of eternal life in Christ is also partaking in immortality, living forever in eternity. Immortality is not something we are waiting to participate in after physical death. It is a spirit and dominion we are placed in immediately upon salvation. Colossians chapter 3 verse 3 says what? For we have been raised up and seated with him in heavenly places. This is not something that is going to occur after you physically die. Once you made the great exchange, you were placed at the right hand of God spiritually instantly. It says God alone possesses immortality, 1 Timothy 6.16. But he has, quote unquote, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, 2 Timothy 1.10. All human spirits and souls do have life after death. But do not, but not all humans have immortality. Living forever in eternal life. 
So the question that begs to be asked here is what dominion will each human live and what master will they serve for life forever after? You see, we are taught that unbelievers do not have life after death. But they do. It is in a dominion and it is in spirit form. Since their damnic spirit never got exchanged for the spirit of the living Christ, their two sides to the coin is the Adamic spirit is the reflection of Satan, and the dominion is the dominion of darkness. An indwelled, born-again, exchanged life believer, their coin is, on one side, is the face of Jesus Christ, and the dominion is eternal life. Unbelievers don't have eternal life. Unbelievers have life forever after. Big difference. And we'll be talking about that today. So since Christ's life is eternal life, when the believer is put into the life of Christ, they are put into eternal dominion, life, spirit, and not just a life forever after. Open up your Bibles and take a look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Those of you who are listening via podcast, if you click on that little red box with the white cross in it, it will literally open up a Bible passage for you on your phone or on your laptop or your computer to this passage. Okay, now here's a key thing. I first want to point out the last half of the verse that Jess just read, and that is the word is not on our desk. The word is not under our armpit. The word is not on our smartphone. But it is going to, if they are an indwell believer, it's going to lead them to the true life inside them, the word that is inside them. One of the most disastrous things that our country, Western civilization, has done is train people to read their Bibles. It's disastrous what it has done to this country. You can quote verses and it has no impact on people anymore. People don't stand up when the word is read. People don't honor the word like it is God speaking. It is something that is like, at best, well, this is cool. I didn't, I didn't hear that verse like that before. No longer are they hearing the voice of God inside them with this still small voice. They're kind of like challenging God to shout, to scream the message because of their busy minds. And he won't. He'll let you sink into the lowest, darkest place before he will shout over your thoughts. He's not an American. Americans are known in other countries of being loud, annoying, and without respect when other people talk. 
because we have the freedom of speech. And that one freedom has literally ruined this country to where we run around with picket signs with opinions on killing our elderly or our babies or having gay marriages or the list just goes on and on and on. He who demands his rights is wrong. So you see, this is huge. We have to understand, are we really of darkness or are we really of the light of truth? Now, before any of our listeners get a little too carried away, particularly if you didn't hear last week's message, I am totally in support of reading the written word. Second, not first. If you go to your written Bibles first, you are guilty of this. But if you go into prayer and you are seeking the Lord's presence in you, if you pray and you're looking toward the ceiling, you're guilty of this. He's not in the ceiling. He's not in the lights. He's not in the clouds. He's in you. And you can talk to him inside you. You don't have to look at the ceiling. You don't have to close your eyes. We don't even know where that one came from. We have turned it into some kind of sacred ritual. When God has made it clear, I have put the word in you. You see, these people didn't have Bibles. Where, where did we get this? The Bible was being formed here. And it's talking like this already. You would have to be transposed from here back to those times to realize that when they talked about the word, they weren't talking about a book. There was no book. Many of these guys had never even written a single word yet, and they were listening to their teachers sitting under a shade tree, and they were getting the word of God from within us. But slowly but for surely, Satan has taken that whole idea and writing of many books is endless and the devotion to books is weariness to our body and ended up bringing us right back over to the tree of knowledge. No more tree of life for you, believer. Now, I better get a 602. 292-2982 because there are thousands if not millions of people in the western world that believe the written Bible has power. And by reading it, you are going to be transformed. It is blasphemy. The only one that can bring transformation is the spirit of life and light that is in you. And when you read the written word, it bears witness with the truth that is in you. And it is the truth that is in you, the word that is in us, that brings the transformation. Now, I know that is a very difficult principle for a lot of people to believe and understand, but you're going to have to answer this question for me. Before 
1911, maybe late 1800s, people didn't have Bibles in their homes. The very rich had family Bibles. So what did they use from ground zero, Jesus taking his last breath, to 1911? What did they use? Do you know how carefully you would have to listen to a preacher to remember everything he said? To tell it to your children when you got home? And to keep telling it to your children till they grew up and got married and they told it to their children and that happened generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation until we have 1911 where the printing press was actually so common that we could literally put one of these Bibles under people's armpits. That day's gone. Now the privilege of reading and interpreting it yourself becomes the predominant force in the Christian world today. So those of you who are more Bible-oriented, I would like to hear from you, and I would like to have you answer that question, how true indwell believers were filled with power and spirit all the way up to 1911. And why from 1911 forward we've literally weakened in power and spirit in the church. We haven't grown. We've weakened. That is a part of church history that needs to be explained. But for some reason, it is one of the main topics that is ignored. So let's talk about dominion. The indwelt Christian can release the spirit because they have been taken from the domain of Satan, darkness, and transferred to the domain of Christ, light. And this is done through the exchange. Taken out, put in. So domain determines what spirit is released in the human life. If the human is of the dominion of darkness, the spirit of darkness, Satan, is who is released in and through that person. Likewise, if the human has been transferred into the domain of light, Christ, the spirit of Christ is who is released in the believer. Dominion is everything. The risen Lord Jesus told Paul that his mission was to convert people from darkness to light, Acts 26, 18. To the Colossian Christians, Paul wrote, He, Jesus, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Colossians 1, 13. And in 2 Peter it says, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Christians are saints in light, Colossians 1.12. Sons of light, 1 Thessalonians 5.5. 5. And of course, children of light, Ephesians 
I think a significant point's being made here that we are no longer in this other domain. So there is no purpose for us to release the power of darkness in and around our lives. So the proof of whether we're liars or not, or whether the word of God is in us, or whether we are in the kingdom of light, becomes a question of dominion. Here's a familiar diagram for most of you. But I put a dark shade on the left side of the cross, which is the funnel where the law of sin and death, the world, flesh, and the devil, is used by the devil and is also used by our Lord. Now, the devil wants to use it for us to radiate his, his power and purpose. The Lord uses it literally to drive that person through the eye of the cross so that they can become a part of the kingdom of light. But on the left side of the cross, before they go through the eye of the, of the, of the cross, they are of the kingdom of darkness, which does not intimidate God. In fact, God uses the things of the world, the flesh, and the devil to lead us to the power of the cross. This is critical to be transferred from darkness into light. Dominion is everything. So the release of the Spirit does have a couple of requirements. The release of the Spirit is such an integral intimate part of the believer's identity, and, it, and the reason is due to the overwhelming presence of Jesus Christ himself. Releasing the Spirit requires intimate knowledge and freedom of our identity or our union with his indwelling life. So people who are walking around that have no clue what the exchange life is about, I think that might make a difference. A huge difference. You have to have an intimate knowledge of your identity in order to have an intimate experience with your Savior. So if, the, if Satan wants to throw something into the mix that's going to plug this whole thing up, he's going to throw in knowledge. To have people devotionalizing Jesus. To have people using their external Bibles as a way of making them feel better or to survive or to, or to whatever. Instead of the word that is actually within them. Because the last I read, Jesus is the word. God is the word. And he came to dwell among us so that we could behold his glory. God was horribly disorganized if this truth, what I am saying, is not true. Since we didn't have written Bibles as we do today until the early 1900s, what does all this mean? What's the value in it? How did these people survive 
growing in Christ without a book. The book is a privilege for us to hold in our hands today. But the word is a life that is inside every true indwelt believer. So releasing the spirit requires intimate knowledge and freedom of our identity with his indwelling life. The deepest sense of any person's identity is in the realm of what it looks like and feels like to release the spirit from within. So when I ask people about the release of the Spirit through them and teaching, preaching, doing miracles, you know, whatever whatever is on the list, and they just kind of like stare at me, I immediately check the box that they have no intimate relationship with Christ. That is not an assumption. A indwell believer needs to be able to explain what it looks like and feels like the Spirit moving through them, using their brains, using their tongues, using everything within them. That's the evidence and the manifestation of the Spirit and the proof of purchase that He does live inside you. The key to living the Christ life is this, to know him is not knowledge of him, but rather an intimate understanding of what he knows, and then releasing his knowledge through the indwelling mind of Christ. You know, got a little bit of feedback on on last week's message about mark this day on your calendar, and at two in the morning, there was this horrible thing that happened in Florida where this guy goes in and kills 50 people or more and wounds, you know, a bunch of others. And there's all this arguing over who he was connected to, if he was connected, whatever. That's not the point. The point of the marking on the calendar was not Muslim. In fact, there was nothing said about Muslims. The point was, is that America is about to change. You see, the only way to find out if these American Christians really, truly believe in the indwelling life of Christ is to put them under fire. That's what's going to change in our country. That's what's going to change in other countries. You see, these Christians that are being tortured for Christ are giving the proof to the torturers. That Christ is in them. That's the only way to do it. To an ignorant, arrogant society who believes they're Christian because they say they're Christian. And we all know that that means absolutely nothing. This happens to be the leading country in the entire world that says and has the proof in the pudding by percentages surveyed that they believe they're Christians. This also happens to be the country that is known throughout the Middle East as the country that is hated the most because we do call ourselves Christians. I asked my imam friend a few years ago why in the world he's able to dialogue with me and 
maintain this communication thing that we've had going on for years. And he said, you're the real deal. He helped me understand that I'm not the kind of guy they want to kill. Because I actually believe what I say. And, as odd as this, this is, he says, your Christian brothers and sisters have more translations to the Word of God, and whereas we have one translation, the original translation, and we don't budge from that. And I thought that through, and I thought, wow. You see, there's no misinterpreting the Koran. It is what it is. And it's written the way it was written. Whether we agree with it or not. But see, in America, we have 256 translations. From gender-friendly to pet-friendly to now there's a gay-friendly uh, coming out. I mean, it's just we just customize the Word of God, a book, according to our morbid beliefs. So authentic Christians understand the word of God is within them. It's not, it doesn't have a translation. It has a life. So therefore, no matter what translation you're reading out of, has no value to me. None. The word of God within you is what carries value with me. Christ in you is what carries value for me. And if the Word of God is authentically understood, it carries value for me. But the arguing, wrangling over different translations, over different verses, is tiring. Why don't we spend our time talking about the indwelling life of Christ? An indwelling Christian is a Christ one, identified by the presence of Jesus Christ, who forms the basis of his, her identity. That is manifested in the mind, will, and emotions. It is of utmost importance that the believer understand their spiritual identity, accepting and affirming who they are in Christ. Their derived spiritual identity based on on their spiritual oneness with Christ. That's what it is, and that is where it comes from. Not a book. If someone is talking to you about their faith, and they say something like, but what about the verse? You see, what they're doing is using an external to combat what it is that you're sharing with them of internal. Their first response should be something like, okay, now let, let me get this right. You, you mean the very life of Christ is actually inside me and he has the ability to think and, and feel and have emotions inside me? That should be the first thing on their mind. Then you should hear things like, oh, you mean when Colossians 1 one, you know, three says this, it's bearing witness with truth. But if you're saying something that is not in and of the word of God, and someone says, but that's not what the written word says, it needs to correct you. 
That's how it should be used. But even that little piece is a little bit dangerous. If we do not know who we are, then we will never be able to behave like who we've become. Who we've become in Christ Jesus. Indwell Christians are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This is who we really are, folks. That's Galatians 3.26. We are children of God, of 1 John 3, 1 and 2. We're no longer children of the devil. Yes, that's in the word, children of the devil. You're either children of the devil or you're children of God. Which are you? You need to be able to answer that question. It tells us in 1 John 3.10 that we're children of God. For as quote-unquote as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.12 Believers are the quote-unquote people of God, 1 Peter 2.10, intended to be quote-unquote rest. That is actually one of the names appointed to us is rest. Hebrews 4.9 As God's own possession, Titus 2.14 Into all Christians established the new quote-unquote Israel of God. Galatians 6.16 We are Israel. We are ambassadors over here in America for Israel because of this great exchange. We are, quote-unquote, members of God's household, Ephesians 2.19, and are citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20. Every indwelt is a priest, 1 Peter 2.9, with the access into the holy of holies of God's presence, Hebrews 10.19. We are, quote-unquote, kings, 1 Peter 2.9, who, quote-unquote, reign in the life through Jesus Christ. We are going to rule with Christ. He's like a king and a queen. We will be in that position, functioning in that position for eternity. That's the privilege of being the bride of the king of kings. Through our spiritual identity was once that of quote-unquote sinners, Romans 5.19. We are now saints, Romans 8.27. Having a derived identity as holy ones by the presence of the holy one acts 3:14 Jesus Christ with whom we we have spirit oneness and ability to release all the above in our daily living that's a little bit about who we are here's our identity matter statement for today we were once ungodly, Romans 5, 6. We are now identified as godly, 2 Peter 2, 9. We were once excluded from the life of God, Ephesians 4, 18. And separated from Christ, Ephesians 2, 12. We are now the chosen ones of God, Ephesians 1, 4. Who have been reconciled to God, Romans 5, 10 and have been accepted to the glory of God, Romans 15, 7. We were once 
unrighteous, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. We have now been made righteous, Romans 5, 19. For we have been created in the righteousness, Ephesians 4, 24. And have become the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. As the righteous one, Acts 7, 52. Jesus Christ, who is that righteous one, us being put into Christ Jesus, makes us the righteousness of Christ. And Christ, of course, has become the basis of who we are. We have been made holy and blameless and beyond reproach, Colossians 1.22. Indwelled Christians are even identified as perfect, Philippians 3.15. We are perfect in spiritual condition because the perfect one, Jesus Christ, dwells within each and every one who makes the great exchange. What part of us is all of this? Our spiritual part. The soul has to catch up to this truth. It has to be renewed. And the body is going to lay here and burn like the rest of them. Then we're given a brand new body when we get to heaven. Because the body is what houses sin. It will never leave. It will always forsake you. And it will drive you to your casket. That's what the body will do. But the soul and the spirit will go on and be joined to a perfect body. That is true identity at its completion. Those of you who are under the unction right now to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to make that great exchange, there is a sample prayer of salvation in the PDF if you want to open that up and pray over it. And then pray your own words as you talk to the Lord about receiving the life of Jesus Christ and exchanging your Adamic nature for the nature of Christ. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.